Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm feeling a little blue today. <laughs> just teasing you. Um, but, uh, but man, we're just so honored to have you here with us. If, uh, if it's your first Sunday with us, welcome to the Gathering. We, we are so honored to have you. We hope that when you came in this place today, that, that you were made to feel at home, that somebody made you feel seen and valued and wanted and welcome. That is our goal every Sunday, is that this would not be a place where you feel awkward or uncomfortable walking through these doors, that we can relieve as much of that as possible, that no matter who you are, no matter what you came in here with, uh, with uh, this morning, you are in the right place and you belong here. Don't worry, we're going to get they're getting it figured out, guys. I know that there's some transition going on, but you know what? That's all right. And so we're we're getting there. But um this morning is a great day to be here if it's your first Sunday because this is Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday. And for Vision Sunday, uh, we, we do a couple things differently. We, we like to really just celebrate about once a year and share all of the things that God's done f- uh, for our church in the last year. Uh, and so what we'll do today is I'll share with you a little bit, I'll celebrate a little bit, and then what I, what I really want to do this morning is kind of preach the vision of our church and let you know why it is we do what we do and how we aim to accomplish it. You'll, you'll hear me say almost every Sunday uh, that we were created to know God and find freedom and discover purpose and make a difference. And I do my best, honestly, to preach out of those things as much as I can because we believe it's so central to the message of Jesus and to the mission and the, the, the pathway that God has established for us as a whole. And so we talk about that a lot. But today what I want to do is really break it down slowly for you. And, uh, and just help you understand why those four things are so important to us as a church. And so before I do all of that, what I really just want to take a moment um, to celebrate, to celebrate a little bit about what God has done uh, in our church. We, we um, are a young church. We're, we're only three and a half years old. Uh, and so, you know, it's easy to forget or you come in here and, and uh, you, you don't know our story, but we, we're just, we're a toddler church. We, we're just figuring things out, but God has already done so much here. And so I, I like to celebrate some of the numbers and talk about some of that. And um, if, you're, if you're averse to numbers, let me qualify it for a minute. We, we believe that, it, that it's important to talk about and celebrate some of the numbers that we monitor and track as a church, because we believe that numbers are always a good indicator of health. Uh, when I go to the doctor's office and they check my heart rate and my blood pressure and, and my cholesterol, I, I don't tell the doctor, you know what, it, I don't want to know what the numbers are. You keep that information to yourself because I'm just here to be me, man. I'm just here to, now I need to know what those numbers are so that I know whether or not I'm healthy. They could be a good indicator and We believe that numbers here don't represent just growth or don't represent anything other than people and stories and and folks that are in desperate need of community, in desperate need of freedom, who are finding hope in a relationship with Jesus. And so we think it is worth talking about and worth celebrating. You need to know that we are just as focused on the one as we are on many here, that as as we grow, our goal is to keep getting smaller in community and develop better and closer 
outlets for community as a church. And so uh, all of that to get me here, I want to celebrate some things with you. We are three and a half years old as a church. And I just need you to know right now that in three and a half years, more than 120 people have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I'm just so excited by that and honored by that. Uh, Just this year, we've baptized 23 people, 23 people making the decision to say yes to water baptism and being raised to life. We are so honored to have that privilege. Uh, We kicked off life group signups for the fall last weekend. So we have had one weekend of signups so far, and they are still going on. You've got a couple weeks left to sign up, although let me warn you, they are filling up quick. We've already had a couple groups close because they're getting full, and so don't miss your chance to be in the group you want to be in. If you haven't signed up, sign up today. But we launched 26 life groups this semester, the most we've ever had as a church, and in one week, we've had 140 people sign up for community, sign up to find freedom in life groups. That is a very big deal to us. Because our goal, what we want to see, is 100% of our adults in attendance engaged in life groups. That's what we want. When we started our church, we've been running consistently between 70 and 80% people involved in life groups since beginning our church, which is about 40% higher than the national average of people involved in small groups. Uh, And so this is a huge part of who we are, and it matters to us. And we love to know that people are finding freedom in group and engaging in community. And so that's a big win for us. Um, Our church is growing. Just over the last year, we've grown by 50%. Most healthy growing churches grow annually between 20 to 30%. Since we started, our church has grown by 40 to 50% every single year because uh, we don't think that is just us and, and how good we are at church. We think that that is the Holy Spirit moving, that it is a move of God, that he is blessing us and placing favor upon us. And we're so honored by that. And then the, the final thing that I want to share with you is that our giving as a church is up by 30%. Here's why I'm sharing that. That's a big deal. Uh, it's very, very rare to see giving grow that, that much and that quickly in a young church. And here's why. I think giving is a great indicator of spiritual health of your people. Because here's what I know, and this is just a fact, is that our money and our finances is the last area of our lives we are willing to loosen our grip on when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. It takes time. It takes time as we grow. And almost as soon as you become a Christian and you enter into discipleship with somebody, a lot of times you'll start hearing the word tithe and and giving and, and all the spiritual reasons we think it's important. And we throw a big guard up because it's our money and we get real skeptical. And, and honestly, I think what's often at work is in our hearts, we aren't really willing to release control of something like our finances yet because we don't have a lot of trust around the church yet or, or we, we still believe it's our role to provide for ourselves, to care for ourselves. And so we just put this tight grip on it. But the more we learn to trust in God, And the more we learn to to be a part of the church, the the less that grip loosens. And I think that when we see financial growth, what we're seeing is people who are moving closer to Jesus and growing closer to him in their faith and building trust in the people they're in community with. And all of those things lead to that place. And so I'm so blessed and honored. You are such a generous church. In fact, last year, our church gave away $40,000 to missions. $40,000. 
We are a three-year-old church. That is not normal. That is not regular. Our, we believe in, uh, as a church, we believe in a tithe. And so that's what we've always held ourselves to. And um, that money, a lot of it went to starting brand new local churches all over our country through our network, the Association of Related Churches, because we believe the local church is the hope of the world. And that where local churches are started, new life forms, that hope is found, that freedom is found, that purpose is found. And so uh, we're so passionate about that. In fact, next weekend, 23 new churches are starting all over our country, and you are a part of that story. Your generosity has gone to help fund every single one of them. And so thank you. Thank you for believing in the local church and for giving and and, uh, and part of that money goes to community, um, li- to, to local charities here in Asheville. And then some of it also goes to our global partners in Guatemala uh, and the mission organization that we're partnered with there. And so, I mean, we, we just, we're a generous church and we believe in that. And I believe that is a good sign of people growing spiritually. And so we're just excited about that. We are just seeing God move in this church in a lot of different ways. You know, my wife and I, uh, when we felt called to start a church, it was 2013, and uh, we felt like God was moving us to go start a brand new church somewhere, and we didn't really know where. We, we were serving in ministry in California at the time and thought, maybe God's going to use us here on the West Coast. We're starting to understand the culture here, and, and we're kind of drawn to it. We loved all the, all the mountains and the national parks and all the cool stuff that we had access to there, and and uh, the people were so unique because many of them had never experienced any kind of church. And so everything had a, a big newness to it that we were able to expose people to. And um, we were really kind of leaning in that direction. And we felt like God was saying, I want you to, John Mark, I want you to go back to people who are like you. you see, my story is I grew up in the southeast and in the Bible Belt, in the deep Bible Belt of Somerville, South Carolina, and a part of a traditional church there. And and, and honestly, as I grew in that culture and in that world, I became more and more disillusioned with the idea of Christianity and the idea of church. I didn't connect with it anymore. I didn't understand it. It felt like there was too much politics, too much bureaucracy, and I could never really get myself uh, around all of the people that I knew in Christian culture in the Southeast who, who said they were a part of it but didn't really live like they were a part of it. And it all just bothered me. And so for a few years, I lived completely apart from the church and, and was not, I mean, I did not, I never became a Christian growing up. And, and so in this season, I really just turned away from it. And when I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I realized that all of these things that I thought I knew about church and that I thought I knew about God uh, weren't really who God is and it wasn't really who the church is. That he changed my, my heart. He changed my, my vision. He changed my understanding. I, I read his word cover to cover on my own because I'd only ever had people read it to me in my life. And I, in about three months, I read the whole Bible. And when you read it fast, you don't kind of get all the details. You get the big picture. And the big picture that I got was a God of grace and second chances and a God who desired relationship, real, personal, close relationship with his people. And I saw that God was a God of freedom, that, 
that he loved to break chains that over and over and over again through scripture are stories of literal chains breaking and metaphorical chains breaking and God offering freedom and peace and, and newness of life to people. And I realized that he was a God of purpose, that he, he had assignments for us, that he called us to something, that he had dreams for us and he had dreams for me. And I had always just desired purpose. In fact, it's a big part of my story that I just really wanted to, to have meaning in my life. In fact, I joined the Coast Guard because I thought being a part of the military or an organization where I could physically save lives, I thought it would give me purpose and I thought it would give me meaning. And when it did not, I didn't really know what to do or, or where to turn. And as I studied his word, I realized that he is a God of calling, that he loves to call and anoint and put a, a mission in front of his people and I realized that he is the God who's called us to more than ourselves. And so I, 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 I was praying with my wife one day about where we would go and what our church would look like. And we just felt like God was saying, you need to go to the southeast, back to a place where there are a lot more people like you. People who, who didn't want to be a part of the Bible Belt or Christian culture, who, who, who left it, who abandoned it, who, who are confused by it, who are looking for newness, for refreshment, who are, who are in need of a, a better understanding of who I really am. And, and so we landed in this city, Asheville, North Carolina, which we discovered was one of the most unchurched cities in the Southeast. At the time that we moved here, 71% of our city wasn't attending church anywhere, which is the highest number per capita of any city in the Southeastern United States. And as we began to study more and more, we learned that that wasn't always the case, that in the 90s, Asheville was more than, it was 54% churched, and 54% of the people living here were engaged in a church somewhere. And just in that course of a few years, there had been this sharp decline it kind of tells a story of a city filled with people just like me that just didn't feel like they fit in and didn't feel like they belonged. And that was why we came here, was to create a church where you can belong, where you can be home, where we, we will do everything that we can to make it as simple as possible for you to understand where you fit in the story of creation. And so that's who we are. That's our vision, really, is just that we would be able to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, and do it as much as we can for as many people as we can for as long as God would allow us. We believe that those four steps that we talk about all the time here on Sundays are the, are the very plan that God gives to us. We see it just like that, laid out in that order in Scripture over and over and over again. We see it in its entirety, first in Exodus, then in Isaiah, and in Matthew, and in Luke, and in Acts, and in Ephesians, and in Colossians. And then we see fragments of this plan that God has for us in 30 other books of the Bible. Over and over again, God lays out this map that we would know God find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. And so what I want to do is, is really break those four things down a little bit more and share with you some scripture behind it, and then tell you how we plan to do those things. I, I think that uh, it's really easy to, to have a good vision, uh, that you that dreams that you want to achieve and follow, but it's, it's, it's almost more important to understand how you're going to do it, to lay, to lay out a, a plan for it. And so I want to share our plan with you in humility that this is, we don't think we're the, the best church in the world, that we've got the best plan in the world, that we've got everything figured out. We're three and a half years old. My daughter is four, and I can tell you she does not have everything figured out yet. 
And so neither do we, but um, humbly, this is the way we feel called to be a church here and, and to accomplish what God's called us to do in this city. And so let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, and then I'll break it down and, and show you how this is, uh, this is God's dream for us. It says, I keep asking, Paul is praying over the church in Ephesus and the people of Ephesus, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. By the way, when you pray for people who are lost, who don't know Jesus I hope you pray for them. In fact, my prayer through our 21 days of prayer that we just came out of, uh, that I prayed every single day just until I felt sick to my stomach, was that we would be a church of people that are obsessed with reaching those who don't know God. And I mean, I don't use the word obsession lightly. I mean obsessed that, it, that it, we would go to sleep thinking about it, wake up thinking about it, that when we would run into people who are looking for meaning and hope and purpose and freedom and, and who don't have a relationship with God, that we wouldn't be able to stop ourselves from communicating with them the hope that we have. And so as you pray for people who are lost, pray for two things, that God would give you confidence and boldness to share your story and to give an invitation an invitation to church, an invitation into a relationship with Jesus. And then second, pray that they might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not your job to help people understand their need for Jesus. Your job is just to share. All that happens after that is out of your hands. Only the Holy Spirit moving in them in a spirit of wisdom and revelation can affect whether or not somebody enters into a relationship with Jesus. I believe he, he can give them this, this understanding of their need for something bigger than themselves and a revelation that it is through Jesus that they would find that. And so we pray a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I like the message version. It's a paraphrase, but it says in a way that I enjoy. It says, I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally that your eyes would be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do and grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust in him, endless energy and boundless strength. Okay, let's break this down and, um, and talk not just about what we're called to do, but how we're called to do it. We just want to create as much clarity around what we do and how we do it as we can at the Gathering Church. Uh, actually, let me share with this. The, the last two years, our Vision Sundays have been a pretty big deal. Our, our first uh, two years ago, we announced that we were launching two services as a church. We were busting at the seams at Rainbow Community School. We were in this old brick church with 150 person capacity and we were running uh, about 140 adults on a Sunday. And so it was just, it was, it was bursting at the seams. And so we announced that we were going to be 
launching a second service so there would be room for more, room for more people to experience what we were experiencing. And then last year in September on Vision Sunday, we announced, hey, with two services, we're still running out of room. It was filling up fast. And so we would be moving to T.C. Robertson High School so there would be more parking, more seats, more space for kids so that more people could experience the hope that we have and they could experience the life-changing truth of Jesus through what God is doing here at this church. And so there's a lot of expectation uh, for me for, for, for this year for what God's going to do in our Vision Sunday as I announce something today to you. Let me sh- share with you what God's laid on my heart for this year before I get into this. I want you to know that what I feel and have been sharing with our staff and have just been receiving in prayer every time I say, God, give me vision. God, give me clarity. God, show me what's next. Every single time, his answer has been the same for months now, and that is get better. Don't worry about getting bigger until you worry about getting better, better, better. Here's what I mean. I believe that these four things are so important and that as a church, we've got to get better and better and better all the time at how we accomplish them and at what our role is in them. And so what I've been sharing with the staff is I feel like he's called me to get better, better as a husband and better as a father because when my family is better, that's my first ministry. It's not you, it's them. And the better I am at leading them, the better I will be at leading you. And then that he's called me to get better and better as a pastor, as, a, as someone who, who manages and leads people. That if I can get better at that, then the people, if I can grow my capacity, the capacity of the people I get to lead will grow as well. And that the people that I serve with have to get better and better and better. That, that our staff's got to get better. Our, our dream team's got to get better. Our leaders have to get better. That as we get better, And we learn more about how God's gifted us and and the way that we're called to lead and the things that we're called to do. As we get better, we will become more and more prepared for the big things that God has in store for us to do. It reminds me of a great story about Chick-fil-A. My Chick-fil-A people at I'm a Popeye's man myself, honestly. Always have been, even without the sandwich. But I appreciate a good Chick-fil-A. And I apologize invoking the name of Chick-fil-A on a Sunday when it is the forbidden fruit. And so you'll have to wait. You'll have to, Popeye's would be open, but we don't have one. There's one coming on, on Airport Road, important announcement. And so, um, anyways, uh, there was a board meeting that they were having at Chick-fil-A because uh, Boston Market had opened and was taking a big portion of the market share. Can you believe that? Boston Market? There's one on Hendersonville Road. I have no idea what is in that place, and I never will. I'll never go in there. What is Boston Market? What does Boston have food-wise that they need to share with the rest of the world? Can we be honest? This is the Southeast, okay? And so anyways, <laughs> I've now that I've offended a good two-thirds of the room... Um, they were having this meeting about how to get back that market share, and they're talking about all the marketing they're going to do and the gimmicks they're going to do and the things they're going to do that's going to make them grow. And they spent three days having these conversations, and Truett Cathy, the CEO and founder of Chick-fil-A, is sitting there at the end of the table quiet the whole time. And on the last day, they, 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 they're, they're still arguing about this, and Truett Cathy stands up, and he's a, kind of a quiet and mild-mannered guy, but he stands up and he kind of pounds his fist on the table and he says, just stop, stop with all the gimmicks because all we need to do is get better. 
If we could just get better at everything, if we get better at customer service, at making people feel seen and wanted and valued at our restaurant, if we can get better at the simple menu that we have and make it taste better, if we can make our restaurants cleaner, if we can create environments that are more welcoming inside, if we can just get better, then they will demand that we get bigger. And that's just what, I mean, nobody's even heard of Boston Market anymore. They did it. And so as a church, I'm sorry. If Boston Market's your favorite restaurant, I'm sorry. I've just never been there. It's probably good. Uh, as a church, we just want to get better. We want to get better. That's our focus this year, has just been to get better. Maybe you've noticed if you've been here for a few years that we haven't done as many events this year. That there's not been as many bounce houses outside. There's not been as many big, uh, big giveaways and, and projects and, and outside things like the big, the big Easter egg hunts and stuff that we did. All of that is good, and we will do all of that again. But this year, we felt like God has been calling us to get better at just a few simple things. And if we can get better at these few simple things, they will demand we get bigger because people will want it, and they will need it, and we will get better at providing it. And so that's, that is our vision for this year. Let me tell you how we're going to do it. First, we believe that we're called to lead people to know God, to know God very simply, to know him personally. He says, Paul's praying and he says, I, I pray that, that God would make the spirit uh, w- that would make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. I believe we were made to know God personally, not to know about God, not, not to add God to our lives as a ritual or just a belief. I believe he was meant to be more than a belief that you were made to know your creator intimately and personally. We get the opportunity to enter into the presence of God with intimacy. It says in 1 John 5.20, we know also that the Son of God has come And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Here's the good news. For most of humanity before Jesus came, God could only be someone we knew about. He was one that they worshipped, that that they desired proximity to, that they would do all kinds of stuff just to get a little bit closer to him. But... But his presence was separated from us by sin. But because of Jesus Christ, because God wanted you a relationship with you so desperately, he wanted intimacy with you so deeply that he would send his own son to live a perfect life and to teach, to give us a better understanding of his character and who he really is. And then he would go to the cross as a sacrifice for all of our sins to be the one perfect atonement. That just means a replacement. He took my place on the cross. He took my penalty upon himself so that I could have access. And he resurrected from the grave so that I could have access forever. You see, that's who Jesus is. That's the whole story. That is the good news. It's not, Jesus didn't do all of that so that you could add another ritual to your life. Jesus didn't do all of that so that you could just go and be a part of the church for your kids so they could learn some morals. No, he did that because he wanted you to have access to him. A few days after Jesus ascended into heaven at an event called Pentecost, 
a portion of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit, a part of God, came down from heaven to earth to be a part of those who believe in him. See, you have access to the presence of God inside of you through his Holy Spirit all the time. He wants to know you personally. He, doesn't, he, just, he wants to have a relationship with you, and there are no qualifiers. There's no buts. There's no only ifs. There's, there's no steps to get there. You can know him personally right now, today, simply by deciding to by making the decision to reach out and accept the gift that he has offered you through Jesus Christ. How that we want to accomplish this here at the gathering is our Sunday services. Sunday services. We just believe this is the best opportunity that we can have, and statistics show that this is the best opportunity that we can have to get the gospel message into as many ears and hearts as possible as quickly as possible. So we work hard to create environments here that lost people want to attend. You see, this is a tricky thing because for years as Christians, we've wanted to design our church services around us and around what we want and around what we are comfortable with. And it's even still our our instinct to push for that. But I just believe this is meant to be more than that. And so you need to know that it is not as important what your preferences are, aren't as important. What my preferences are, aren't as important. What you want, what we, what we want to do is create environments that worship and honor God. And so you need to know the worship music's not for you, it's for him. And so if you don't like the song selection, that's okay. It's not for you, it's for him. And then we also want to create an environment that is clean, that is excellent, that is not distracting, where people feel seen and valued and welcomed, where they feel wanted, where they feel connected with, where we can teach a, a series or a message that we believe can, can, can hit anybody at any phase of life. People can relate to it and see themselves in it. We, we try to create neat environments that feel safe, that aren't distracting. We, we, we want people who don't yet know Jesus to want to be here. I'll tell you why. Uh, I became a Christian. I lived in Florida, and um, I was a brand-new Christian. And when you're a brand-new Christian, you're just kind of on fire with this thing. Your life's been changed, and you just want to get it out to as many people as possible. In fact, we're starting a new series next Sunday about this idea that when we enter into Christianity, we have this big desire to share it with others. We want to find freedom. We're like, we got all this energy to find freedom from all the things that we're trying to leave behind, and, and we want to know more about God and pursue him. And we have this excitement and this excitement kind of fades as time goes on. And so over the next three weeks in this series, we'll be talking about how to rebuild that excitement in our lives. And I think through that, and as we talk about that, it's also a great environment for your friends and family who don't yet know Jesus to come and learn about him for the very first time. And so I'm really excited. Please help us by grabbing some invite cards on your way out today and bring some people into this environment over the next couple of weeks as we talk about going back to school in our faith and getting back in, in the excitement of when we were first 
Christians. When I was a Christian, I tried to invite everybody to church. I, I, when I first became one, I invited like 30 different people that I worked with to church, and one said yes, finally. And I was so excited, because I had been told no a million times, you know? And I was starting to think maybe I was the weird one, right? And then finally, this guy said yes, and I was like, all right, man, well, let's do this thing. And we go to this church that I had been attending, which was very, um, uh, 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 very traditional, and it was what I was used to, so I felt comfortable in it, but I had not thought about it through the eyes of someone who didn't grow up in that. My buddy was from Washington and had, no, uh, had never been in a church before. And we went in that church, and the, the songs were 200 years old and played on an instrument that is only used in church now, you know. And the announcements were 72 minutes long and mostly about business meetings that I had no plans to attend. And the pastor was just a little bit dry and a tad bit angry. And the people there acted like they didn't see us. In fact, they were probably a little displeased at the flip-flops my friend chose to wear that day and communicated that with their eyeballs, you know. And so the whole time, my friend felt very bored and I felt very embarrassed. And I never invited another friend to that church again. In fact, a few weeks later, I left that church and I went to one where I was comfortable bringing my friends. See, we've just worked hard to create an environment where you can feel comfortable. You can trust us. If you bring your families here, your, your friends here, people that you put your reputation on the line with here, we want to honor that. We want them to love it as much as you want them to love it. We want them to receive it as much as you want them to receive it. And so we believe that this, this service is our great opportunity to lead people to know God. And this is how we're doing our best to do it. Second thing is we want people to find freedom. I deleted a third of the message after first service to try and make this thing shorter. And here I am again. It's 1154. I'm going to wrap this up. But uh, uh, find freedom. We want people to find freedom. Here, here's the deal. I think we get this backwards a lot. We think that we've got to find freedom so that we can know God. I don't know how many conversations I've been in where people are like, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to go to church, man, but if I walk through them doors, that place is going to burn down. Like, you guys don't want me in there. I got to get this thing right first, you know. I mean, I got some plans next Saturday that would disqualify me from the church, and after that, then I'm going to clean up a little bit and get in the church, man. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we, we get this backwards. We think, oh, I can't go to a life group yet because I'm not ready yet, or I can't join the church. I can't go to church. I don't want to go to growth track because I'm still a mess. But you've got to understand that the order is important, that God says you can know him personally first. The first step is to know him personally. The second step is to find freedom. It says that you may know him personally. And then I pray, it says in Ephesians 1, that you may know him personally. And then I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, our hard eyes get clouded up by all the stuff that we allow in our hearts that hurts us. Sin, addiction, hang-ups, thought processes, uh, our shame of our past, our guilt, all these things like depression and anxiety that cloud it up, and it just it clouds up the eyes of our heart. And we can't see a purpose or, or joy, or, or, or we can't really be in healthy relationships because we have so much that we're in bondage to that is making our heart eyes blinded. 
We can't, we want to know more. We want to see more, but we just can't. I need you to know you were made to experience freedom. The freedom is available to you, that it's there, that, that Jesus came to give you freedom. In Luke chapter 5, he says, I have come to set the captives free. He came to offer you freedom. And there are all these things that cloud up our hearts that we think we'll struggle with forever. Some of them we've just resent. We, get, we tell ourselves over, oh, I'll never be free of that. I can do my best to hide it for as long as I want, or I'm just going to have to manage with this chain attached to me because there is no door to this cage. There is no breaking of this chain. There is no releasing of this addiction. It is a part of me, and it always has been. I, I, I've struggled with this bitterness ever since my father left when I was seven. It can't be a part, it can't be gone from me because it is who I am. But I need you to know that your bondage and the cage you live in is not who you are. You were made to experience freedom. You were made for more. It's free for you. It's available for you, but you're gonna have to work for it. He's got freedom for you. It says in Romans 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We condemn ourselves a lot more than God does. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I think a lot of times we don't find freedom because we're just so comfortable in the cage we've been living in. In 2017, there was this study done by the U.S. government on prisons and prisoners and and what they looked at was prisoners who were released after more than 10 years of incarceration. And they found that a large portion of the prisoners released after 10 years of incarceration were reincarcerated after three years. And after psychologists met with them to try to understand this, what they found was in the majority of those who went back to prison, went back to prison out of an inability to adjust to freedom. And so they made dumb choices that got them back in jail. And what they found when they studied those who did not go back to prison was the key factor in people finding freedom and keeping it was community and accountability. In fact, the government is setting up all these new programs and procedures now to offer more community and accountability to people who are released from prison in order to have less people returning to it. And I just need you to know that that's not the government's job, it's the church's job. That, that freedom happens in community. Freedom happens in accountability. The how for how we want to see people find freedom here is through life groups. I just really believe you can experience and find freedom in a life group. That when you get into deeper community, there is the opportunity for healing. And James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You can be healed, but it's not something you do on your own. It's not something that happens by yourself. God gives you the keys, but you need the people around you to work them and get the door open and to stay in a place 
of freedom. So we want you to be a part of a life group because that's the kind of community we want for you. And then once you find freedom, we want you to stay in a life group because there are other people on the journey who need you to help them. It is a constant cycle. We find freedom, we lead someone to freedom. We find freedom, we lead someone to freedom. And it just goes on and on for the rest of our lives. We believe that's how community works. And it can be scary, you know. You go in life group and our culture has taught us not to be vulnerable because people will reject our vulnerability. But we believe that in vulnerability, there is healing. And that in vulnerability, real community forms. And so we create a culture of of vulnerability here where when people go into community, it's a safe place to take off your mask. We convince ourselves that when we take off our mask, we'll be met with someone ostracizing us, with fingers pointing at us, that people will judge us. But that is not who we are as a church. Show who you really are. Expose your vulnerability. Be vulnerable show people what you're dealing with. And what I believe will happen is someone else will take off their mask and say, that's me too. That's what I'm going through. Let's find freedom together. I can tell you that all of our life groups will give you the outlet to community that will lead you to freedom. Everyone from bruise and bros uh, all the way to the deepest Bible studies that you can join it. And it is not the content often that leads you there. It is the intensity of the community, the vulnerability that you experience. But if you want the fast track, we have a group that we named just for this, freedom groups. Freedom groups are designed to put you on the fast track to finding freedom. It is a curriculum written by one of our ARC's lead team members, Pastor Chris Hodges, that is unbelievable, that has changed the lives of dozens of people in our church, that I believe will put you on the path to freedom far quicker than anything else. And if you desire freedom in your life, go through Freedom Group. I think we have four of them this semester. Lots of, one south, one north. So you've got lots of opportunities to get yourself in a place where you can be vulnerable and start to find freedom. I think everyone in this church could benefit from Freedom Group. So join life groups today. Don't waste time. Get in a life group. Don't say, I'm going to take a semester off. You can afford to give up a lot more of other things in your life than you can afford to give up life group. I can promise you that. Uh, Finding freedom. And then the next thing, once, once our hard eyes are clear, finally we can start to see what we've been made for and discover our purpose so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do, that your heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. He wants us to clear up all the cloud and and all all of it that's blocking our vision so that we can see again and be reminded that you were created with a purpose for a purpose. Listen, you were created with a purpose. It is not meaningless. You are not made to float through this life. There is not just a no point to it. You have a purpose. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to his kingdom. You matter to the people in our city who are desperately waiting for you to step into your purpose and help expose them to the life-changing truth and the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. You are called, you are gifted, you are highly favored, you are anointed for the glory of Jesus' name. And we want to help you discover it. 
This one is so personal for me because I, it, it was a, I, 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 I lacked so much meaning and purpose in my life. I didn't, I didn't know where to look for it. I tried everything. I tried the military. I tried, I tried all the different ways that we tried to fill holes in our hearts and in our lives through substances, through people, through, through anger and bitterness, through everything I, you can think of. I was there. And all that it led me to was just a crippling depression. Crippling. Could not live anymore. And what happened was, when I entered into a relationship with Jesus, I started a pathway to freedom. Freedom isn't uh, immediate. It took me a long time to find freedom from depression, but it was possible because I knew now that I was created for a purpose, that it was worth it that I needed to find freedom so I could find and pursue that purpose. And I worked hard, and on the other side of that, God said, I've got a calling on your life, and I want you to know I'm living in it right now, and there is no greater form of satisfaction on this earth. You have a purpose as well. Jeremiah 1.5, God speaks to the young prophet and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And he's saying the same thing to you. Before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. And he's appointed you to the purpose he's placed on your life. He has a calling for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's masterpiece masterpiece, his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We try to help you discover your purpose through the growth track. The growth track is our way. We, we have growth track kind of as, as just a, a jumping off point. We don't think in two weeks you're going to just find your, all of your heart's desires and your dreams and, and all of it. Thanks, Nathan. And all of that kind of stuff. And, and I, I think that all of that stuff is, uh, is great. But we, we think that, actually, sorry, I got distracted. Anyways, um, growth track is our way of helping you discover your purpose. We just want to take a couple weeks to tell you a little bit about who we are and the vision that God's given us. And then we want to take a moment to just talk about you and the gifts that God's given you and discover uh, your spiritual gifts and your natural gifts and talk about your story and your experiences and how all of these things come together to show us what God is going to use us for so that we can make a difference. I believe you were made to make a difference, that he's cre created you with all these gifts and, and dreams, that he has dreams for you that are bigger than anything you could ever imagine for yourself, that are bigger than anything you could imagine, that, that are bigger than anything that, that, that we set up as, as, as these ultimate goals for our lives, that God has a bigger dream. And it is for you to discover your purpose and use that purpose to make a difference for him. We have uh, a lot of different things that we think are, are super important that God is teaching us and, and leading us in and, and helps us to make this difference in our lives. But we believe that as a church, 
that the local church is the hope of the world. And that as a church, our goal is not just to, to be a group of staff members, that the church isn't about me or, or our worship team or people that you see on stage, that the church is all of us, that we are the church. And that the ministry of the church isn't just something that's done by a small handful of people, that it is, the, it is all of us using our gifts together to accomplish the purpose he's created us with. Psychologists have a hierarchy of needs that helps us um, navigate, uh, that, that helps describe the way that we're motivated in our life. And the, the hierarchy of needs used to stop at the top with something called self-actualization. In other words, the ability to really know who I am and to know myself and to, and to discover my purpose, if you will. But over the f- few decades since that was structured, we've discovered that people can know who they are, but still have a need that motivates them beyond that, have a need for more. And what we've learned, what psychologists have learned, is that beyond self-actualization, people have a need for transcendence, to take what they've learned about themselves and use it to serve others, to live a life that is bigger than yourself. Secular psychology is just discovering what God's been writing in scriptures for thousands of years. You were made to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And we believe the very best outlet for you to make a difference is for us to make a difference together as the local church to use your purpose, the purpose that the gifts that he's given you to partner with the mission of the church to reach the city for what he, for, with the life-changing message of Jesus. We, we believe that, that there, there's, a, there's a lot of good examples of this and people in our church who would agree and tell you their story, but I always like to pick on my friend Nick Nick and Maya are, are two of our close friends here, and they both serve on our dream team and are a huge part of it, but it was just two Easter's ago in one of our services that Nick gave his life to Jesus. He would tell you that that was a hard journey to make, that there was a lot that happened between, between Nick first landing here and, and then giving his life to Jesus, but shortly thereafter, he and I had a conversation where he said, John Mark, I need freedom, man. I need to... I need, to get, I need to get rid of some stuff that I've been carrying for a long time. And I, I want to be a, a better part of the church. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want my girls to grow up with the best daughter possible. And I just, so we got him engaged in a life group and in community where he could be vulnerable and, and in freedom group. And, and some, of the, some of the scales started to fall off of his hard eyes. He's begun to find freedom and He discovered his purpose. Nick loves to build and he loves to do things with his hands. And he joined the dream team on our setup team. I need you to know that that when we talk about purpose in the dream team, that we don't think that if you're on setup team, that your purpose is setting up pipe and drape. That's that's your whole, or if you're serving coffee, that, that we believe that all that God's created you to do is serve coffee. No, we think that your purpose is to use your gifts to partner with the local church, that when you serve coffee, you're using your gifts of kindness and, and the ability to communicate with people and to, be, to, to, to read people and to read situations, your discernment in, in how to make people feel valued and wanted, 
through that cup of coffee, that when you set up the environment like Nick does, uh, we have so much to set up and tear down every Sunday. And guys like Nick create clean, crisp environments that are not distractions to people, where parents feel safe leaving their kids, where it's easier for them to say, I I I think I can engage with this a little bit so they can begin to experience the life-changing message of Jesus. It's all of us working together to make a difference in our community. There's no greater calling. There's nothing, there's nothing bigger than reaching a city with a message it is desperately searching for. And, and this idea uh, of making a difference makes me think of this last church that I worked at. I was in family ministry. And some Sundays, our, I would serve at our kids' check-in area. And... Uh, we had a guy that served there frequently, it was almost every week. And I learned that he was a surgeon, a heart surgeon, at one of the prestigious hospitals in our area. And I began to think about that and think, man, this, this dude is important. This guy is smart. He should not just be checking people in, like printing out name tags. There's probably somewhere else we should use him. So one Sunday I was there and I was like, hey man, I'm so sorry that we've just got you printing name tags. Like I, I know who you are and how important you are. And I just, I just want to, I want you to know I can, I can work with our, our, our pastor and, and help find a better area for you. And he stopped me right there. And he said, John Mark, stop. I said, listen, what I do all week long is very important, which is the best way to start a sentence. He said, what I do all week is very important. I, I get the opportunity to be with people in their most, uh, in their most vulnerable moments and offer them hope. And, and I get the opportunity to literally save lives, and it's huge. But I want you to know nothing gives me more value than what I'm doing here on Sunday mornings. That I get to come in here, and I get to make parents who, who've never been in a church before feel safe. I get to be the face that gives them warmth and confidence and peace so that they can drop their kids off and their kids can experience purpose and meaning and hear about Jesus in an age-appropriate way. And then their parents can go and have their lives transformed by the very thing that has transformed me. And don't you ever, ever move me off this team. This is right where I need to be. And it changed my perspective. I'll never think about what we're doing here the same way again. He has created us to be a part of a body a body of people working together to change lives. So join us in this vision. Join us in what God has called us to do here. We believe there is no, no higher calling than to be a part of the mission that he's given us. Thank you for being a part of it with us. Thank you so much to all of you who serve so faithfully, who've, who've soldiered on with us, who've been there through all the transition and change as a young church. We believe more is coming, that as we get better, God will keep blessing us. He'll keep putting his favor on us, that he'll keep showing up. He'll keep doing things we don't expect, that we'll see more and more lives changed, more hearts that are made clear, more people connect with their why and connect with their purpose. And as we do, more and more people will help to make a difference. And as a result, more people will feel satisfaction and meaning and more people will experience hope for the first time. And it will just keep going because it's what he's called us to do. Join us. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, that you are the God of purpose, that you call us to something bigger than ourselves, that all the things you create in us, Father, our dreams, our ambitions, our desires, all these things you place there, Father God, that, that you place there for a reason. We thank you that you, you made a way for us to know you personally. We thank you that, that you offer us freedom, God, that you don't want us to walk around anymore in bondage to our sin or to our shame or to our guilt or to, to all of it, Father, that you want to free us, God, and that, that on the other side of freedom is meaning and purpose and calling and anointing and favor. And so, God, I just, I thank you for your plan, for your strategy, God, and for calling us to it. We honor you, we worship you, and we lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen.